Today we are going to pray for two of our missionaries serving in a country in Southeast Asia that we will not name. And we are using made up names for the missionaries because we don't want them thrown out of the country or worse because we talk too openly. Missions are dangerous in places and this is one of them. We call them Clay and Amy. Have you ever thought about what people believe before they believe in Jesus? In much of Asia, they believe in spirits. They believe spirits are evil and are always trying to hurt people. Where, where our missionaries serve, that's the way most people are. A man we call Kitut was a welder by trade. He was scared to death of spirits. He made offerings and prayed to the spirits, fearing they would hurt him. When Clay and Amy told this man God loves him, has a plan for his life, and sent Jesus to die for him, Ketut was interested. As a test, he, give, he quit giving the spirits offering, and nothing happened. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. His fear went away. A year later, his wife was saved. Some of our church's cooperative program dollars find their way to Clay and Amy all the way over to Southeast Asia. So we rejoice with them when we hear victory stories like this. Let's ask God to bless them and hear and their missionaries' ministry and let's ask God that thousands and thousands of people will turn from evil spirits to the one true God of love. All right, I trust you still have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 13. As uh, those of you who have been with us for a while know that, uh, or for a few weeks anyway, we've been going through uh, what are called the kingdom parables of Matthew chapter 13. I do encourage you to have a copy of God's Word uh, open in your lap, whether it's an electronic copy, whether it's the, this copy out of the out of the pew in front of you, whether it's your own copy. We will have the verse up on the screen uh, this morning, and we're going through one verse, so you know it, it's not like sometimes where we go through many. But still, I do encourage you to have it open in front of you. That way, you can look around and you can see the context uh, that it's in. Plus, it helps you to get used to handling handling your Bible and handling your Bible. Well, so uh, with that being said, you know, not too long ago, I don't remember if it was in the conference that we went to, uh, that Ben and I went to a couple of weeks ago, or or whether it was somewhere else, I don't really remember where it was that I heard it, but I, I heard somebody say that, you know, they were trying to make a point about the importance of ministry and mission in the local church, and they said something that sounds good, but when you think about it, it's not too accurate. Uh, they said that we're only one generation away from losing all Christian influence in our country and in the world. Now, like I said, I understood, I understand why he said that. He said that to, you know, kind of stir us up and to get us motivated to be on mission and all of that. He said it to motivate churches to do what we're called to do. He had the right heart in saying it, but what he said is not accurate. Because as long as there are Bible-believing, Spirit-filled Christians in the world, there will be faithful, Bible-teaching, Christ-honoring churches in the world. And when there are Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Spirit-filled churches in the world, then believers will be having an influence. It doesn't work the other way around. As long as there are Christians, as long as there are Spirit-filled Christians in the world, we will have an influence on the world. Isn't that what Jesus told us? You remember what Jesus said about the church? 
He said, on this rock, Peter gave the, the testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus, on hearing that, said, on this rock, on the rock of that testimony, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is a promise from Jesus. So as long as there are believers in this world, there will be churches in this world, and as long as there are churches in this world, we will be having an influence, an influence such, so strong, that even the fortified demonic gates of hell cannot stand against the charge of the gospel in this world. Until Jesus calls us to meet Him in the air, faithful Bible-believing churches will continue to have a real, significant, community-altering impact on our community and on the world around us. Which means that you as a believer will have a real, significant, eternal influence on those around you. You will. It's, it's not an option. It's not an optional list that we can sign up for. If you are a believer, you will have an influence. You will have an influence on those around you, and you will have an influence on those who come after you. As a believer, you might not feel like you have an influence, but as a believer, you have more influence than you can ever possibly begin to grasp. As a church, we, Parkview Baptist Church, we have an impact that will be far greater than we can possibly imagine. Now that's good news because on some level, I think all of us, I think, I think it's just something about human nature. We all want to have an impact. We all want to make, make a difference. We want to influence, have some sort of influence on the world around us, whether it's our family or whether it's our friends. We want to have some sort of influence. We want to feel like that our life matters, don't we? We want to have that kind of influence. We want to have our lives count for something. Wouldn't you love for our church to have enough influence on our community and on the world that abortions would cease? Wouldn't you love to have that kind of influence? Wouldn't you love for our church to have enough influence that our nation's justice system would indeed be just? Wouldn't you love to, for our church to have enough influence that racism would cease to exist? Wouldn't you love to have that kind of influence? Wouldn't you love for our church to have enough influence that every child would be loved and cared for? And, and poor people and needy people would be clothed and fed? Wouldn't you love for us to have enough influence that, that people would be trained for jobs where they could make a living wage and that they would have enough gumption to work those jobs where they could have a living wage? And drug and alcohol addicts would, would become permanently clean and sober. Wouldn't you love for our church to have that kind of influence? Wouldn't you love for our little church to have that kind of influence to make those big things happen? Wouldn't you love to have that kind of influence? See, I think all Christians, when we see those things going on in our world, I think all Christians in, in part of our hearts wish that we could have that kind of influence to make that kind of change. So the question is, is can we? 
I think even a bigger question than that, than that is, how can we have that kind of influence? Well, do we get that? Can we have that kind of influence by building big programs and building big systems and having mass media campaigns and doing all these big kinds of attractional kinds of things? Is that how we can have that kind of influence? Are we supposed to build our influence through marketing and through community organizing and through political activism and all of those kinds of ways? Is that how we're supposed to do it? Is that how Jesus told us that our influence is supposed to grow? Now, Jesus said that our influence is going to come from hard work. And our influence is going to come, it's going to be slow, and it's going to be silent, and it's going to be under the radar. But our influence is going to be bigger than we can ever, ever possibly imagine. That's what this parable is about. This parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, as I said, we're going through uh, these kingdom parables. And this one is really the shortest of all of them. It's only one verse. So let's take a look at that verse, Matthew 13, verse 33. He, of course, that he is Jesus. Jesus told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now just to reset the scene here, remember that Jesus is speaking to a large crowd of people. He's actually in a boat that's just off the shore a little bit so that he can have room to address this large crowd of people that are standing on the bank. And as Jesus is speaking to these people, speaking to them in parables, he's speaking to them in a way that he knows that they're not going to get it. He knows that they're not going to get it, but he knows that his disciples are going to get it. And in turn, he knows that we are going to get it. He expects us to get what he's talking about here. Jesus, Jesus used these parables to teach us as believers to show us how that we're supposed to live out his kingdom in this age. How we live out His kingdom in this age looks a little bit different from how Israel was supposed to live out His kingdom in the days before this. This is a transition period, and He's showing us how we're supposed to live out His kingdom through individual local churches in these areas. Three weeks ago, we've seen how His kingdom is supposed to grow. Then two weeks ago, we've seen who is in His kingdom and who's out of His kingdom. Then last week, we've seen the impact that we're supposed to have in His kingdom. And this morning we get to see the influence that we're supposed to have. And Jesus does that by, by describing the kingdom of heaven, describing our, our mediation of the kingdom. He describes it as leaven. Well, we're going to talk about leaven, but before we talk about leaven, let's just, let's just look through the verse and it talks about the woman. Let's figure out who the woman is. One thing we can say for sure, Jesus is not using the illustration of a woman to refer to himself. He's using the illustration of the woman to refer to us, to believers, to his local church, local churches. Throughout the New Testament, you can see that local churches are referred to in the feminine. Local churches are referred to as the bride of Christ. We are, as Parkview Baptist Church, we are the bride of Christ. We are part of the bride of Christ. So it's no, it's no, um, it's no misunderstanding. It's no surprise that Jesus uses the the picture, the illustration, the example of a woman. 
to refer to us. Besides that, it fit with the cultural norms of the day. The, he talks about the man who was out sowing seed, and he talks about the woman who was at home baking bread. Y'all don't fuss at me for that. It was the cultural norm of the day, okay? <laughs> now, I told you that we're going to get to get to the leaven, but first, let's talk about the flour. We talked about the woman. Now, let's talk about the flour that he refers to in this parable. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see that she used three measures of flour, I don't know what comes to your mind, but what has always come to my mind is she took out a measuring cup and took out three measures of flour. Well, if that's what comes to your mind, that's not right. We need to get that out of our head. Three measures of flour. The word measure is translated from the Greek word sata. Sata was a unit of measure in Jesus' time. Do you know what three satas amounts to? Three satas of flour amounts to about a 50-pound sack of flour. 50-pound sack of flour. Now, y'all who do baking and that kind of stuff, that's a lot of flour, isn't it? You know how many loaves of bread that would probably make? I don't know this from personal experience, but I've got Google. A 50-pound sack of flour, three satas of flour, would make probably anywhere from 100 to 150 loaves of bread. That's a lot of bread. The point is, is that this is a whole lot of flour that we're dealing with. It's not just three little cups of flour. It's a whole lot of flour. So now that you have that in mind, now let's talk about the leaven. Typically, when we think of leaven, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> there are some Bible translations that will actually translate it as yeast. Well, yeast is a part of leaven, and yeast is a leavener, but really what we're talking about here is more, if, if any of you have ever uh, baked bread or made sourdough bread or something where you have a starter, that's kind of what this is. It's a leavening lump of dough. So what would happen was the, the, the lady that when she would make this batch of dough, this batch of leavened bread, she would pinch off a piece and keep that for the next time. And she would take that lump, that little lump of leaven, and, and work it into the whole flour and water and oil and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't like she had a, you know, a packet of dry yeast and ripped it open, dropped it in some sugar water and went from there. No, it was this little piece, this little starter. Now, here's the interesting thing about that starter. When typically it was, it was the custom of the day when a young lady was about to be married, that a gift from her mother to her was a piece of her starter. The mother would pass on a piece of this leavening to her daughter. Uh, I guess it was a way to... I guess it was helping out her new son-in-law <laughs> that he wasn't going to starve to death. But that's how, that's how treasured these things were. And as they passed from generation to generation to generation, each family would have basically their own line of bread. So you'd go into one household and the bread might be just a little bit different than in another household. But they would pass this leavening on from generation to generation to generation. Now, just put a bookmark there and just a little side note 
because I know how this parable has been interpreted sometimes, and I know we can get very confused when we see the word leavening in Scripture. A lot of times, as a matter of fact, most of the time when you see leavening referred to in Scripture, it's a bad thing. It's referring to sin. Matter of fact, when they would have the uh, when they would have the Passover, one of the things that was required was they would have to go through the house and they would have to sweep out every bit of yeast or leavening in the house because it symbolized sin. Well, it wasn't that the yeast was symbolizing sin. It, it was that you remember how the mustard seed. We talked about the mustard seed last week and. It wasn't that the mustard seed represented faith. It was that the rep- that mustard seed represented the smallness. Well, the yeast, the leaven, doesn't exactly represent sin. It represents the, the permeating growth of that sin. So when we see leaven here, it's not referring to sin. Just get the negative thought out of it. If you have any any confusion about that, remember that when we are trying to understand Scripture, we understand it in its immediate context first. And in this immediate context, Jesus clearly says that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. So it's not referring to something negative. It's just referring to leaven as the as the growing, permeating, for its growing, permeating nature. That's enough said about that. The picture here is the way that leaven influences the flour in the bread-making process. That's the point here. So if you want to understand the point of this parable, that's what it is. This tiny lump of leavened dough will leaven, will permeate through, and will change and will transform 50 pounds of flour to make 100 to 150 loaves of bread. That's how a little bit of leaven influences a whole lot of dough. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting here. And He's painting that picture to show us and to tell us that that's how believers will influence our world today. How we will influence the world through these tiny seemingly insignificant leavening agents called his local churches. Now understanding that, there are four things that I want you to notice from this parable. First thing that I want you to notice is that gospel influence happens intentionally. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens intentionally. I want you to notice in verse 33 there the, the two verbs about the lady. It says that the lady took and hid the leaven in the flour. Those are action words. Those are things she had to do. She had to be intentional in her actions. Now, I don't know. I haven't checked in the market. Maybe they've come up with something like this. But certainly in this day, flour didn't come with leavening agents already in it. Flour didn't already come pre-mixed with yeast. No, this little piece of leavened dough had to be intentionally mixed into 50 pounds of flour and water and oil. And then it had to be kneaded. Can can you imagine kneading 50 pounds of dough? 
That's work. That'd be a lot of work. That poor woman probably had Popeye-looking forearms because that's a lot of work. This wasn't easy. And then after kneading the dough, she'd have to let it proof, let it rise a little bit, and then pound it down and then knead it some more. In other words, there's a lot of work that was going on to this. This wasn't just a one-time grab a piece of, uh, of leavening agent, throw it in the pile, and then just walk off. This was an involved process, just like your gospel influence on your family and friends and co-workers and neighbors is a process. It's something to be worked. Just like Parkview's gospel influence on our neighbors and the nations is a process. It's not something that we just go out and do a fly-by tract evangelism and then call it good and call it done. No, this is a process that we're working into. We can't expect to have an eternal influence on our community just by having occasional big events where we invite them to come on our property and we give them hot dogs and we send them home. We can't expect to have a lasting eternal influence by doing events. Now, I'm not opposed to doing events. You know, we do events and all of that kind of stuff, but that is not where we're going to have lasting eternal gospel impact. Just like you as an individual, you're not going to have eternal, lasting gospel impact just by standing across the room and flinging a gospel tract at somebody. I call that tract bombing. Or just by an occasional God bless you or even a one-time gospel conversation with somebody. Now, listen. If you do those things, I'm not saying don't do those things. Just like I'm not saying we don't do events. But I'm saying you're going to have the greatest eternal gospel impact by building relationships with people and by doing the hard work of working in the gospel, working in the gospel in people's lives. That's how we're going to have the greatest impact. To have the kind of influence that we should, that we should have takes real steady, consistent work. Gathering, mixing, kneading, proofing, pounding, and then doing it all over again. Intentionally work your leavening gospel influence. That's the first thing. Second thing, gospel influence comes from small sources. You know, it still blows my mind. When... When I was studying this, and, and I, I don't know why I'd never noticed it before, just didn't really pay that much attention, but it still blows my mind that this woman was working with 50 pounds of flour. Forgive me for repeating it, but it just blows my mind that that's what Jesus is talking about, that kind of a vast quantity. But when I think about it, that's what makes this parable so encouraging. What makes it so encouraging is we as a church, we don't have to be some mega budget, mega church to have a huge gospel influence on our community. We don't have to sit back and say, well, if we had all that they had, then we could really do something. No. God is ready to make a huge impact on our community through us, through what He has here, all we need is a little bit of gospel leaven and a lot of intentional effort. 
Listen, I don't care how, uh, how eloquent you are. I can't even say eloquent. So I hope that <laughs> I hope that that doesn't. Uh, that's not what we're resting our eternal hope in. I don't care how eloquent you are. I don't care how well trained you are. I don't care how gifted or how talented or how articulate you are or how dynamic your personality is. I don't care about any of that stuff because eternally that stuff doesn't really matter. You know how the Bible describes us. The Bible describes us as old clay pots, right? That was how the Apostle Paul, the mighty Apostle Paul, the one that we spent so much time in the book of Acts studying his amazing work for God, that was how the Apostle Paul described himself, as an old clay pot. See, the quality of the container, that's not what it's about. What it's about is what the container, the contents of the container. I'm going to say what the container contains. That's confusing. <laughs> what matters is our content. And if you are a believer, then your content is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God dwelling in you. The Son of God dwelling in you. That's the content of your old clay pot. That's the content of my old clay pot. His Spirit is dwelling in you. His Spirit is empowering you to work that gospel leaven into all the people that He gives you contact and gives you relationship with. That's what drives our influence. That's who drives our influence. See, it's so easy for us to get discouraged and to think that, that your witness is tiny and insignificant. Well, you know, I just, I just don't know that many people. I just don't talk to that many people. You know, I'm just not good at, at talking to people. You know, I'm just introverted. I'm shy. I just quit with all of that. Quit with all of that. Your witness you might think of as being tiny and insignificant, but think about yeast. Yeast is a microscopic, single-cell organism. And that microscopic, single-cell organism, Jesus is describing as having an influence on a vast amount of flour. And so can you. And so can our church. God can use this little church. God can use each of the little clay pots that are sitting here to make a huge gospel impact on our neighbors and the nations. God can use this little church to have a huge gospel influence on both Bluefields, on both Virginias, and on the world. He can do that. All we got to do is work it in. Just work it in. Third, gospel influence happens behind the scenes. You know, people have been baking and eating leavened bread since since the beginning of time, basically. Since the beginning of history. But it wasn't until a guy named von Leeuwenhoek invented the microscope in the 17th century that people had a clue that there was something living in there that caused the bread to leaven, that caused the bread to rise. And then it wasn't later on, until two centuries later, until Louis Pasteur figured out how that yeast really works, how it eats the sugar and how it 
does what yeast does. He didn't figure that out until the 19th century. Even today, when most people go to Kroger or go to Food City and buy a loaf of bread, they don't have a clue of all that went into making that loaf of bread. Because all of that stuff, all of that leavening, all of that just happens behind the scenes. Happens quietly behind the scenes. As believers, we are responsible to work hard to intentionally influence people with the good news of Jesus Christ. We start by gathering the flower by starting to develop real relationships with lost people around us. And then we intentionally take them and, and hide the gospel in them by sharing Jesus in the way that we live and in the way that we talk. We, we need the dough. We work it by developing and building these gospel relationships with these people. And then that's all that we can do. That's what we're responsible for doing. That's all that we can do. The Think of it as, as magic. Think of it as whatever. All of that stuff, all of the good stuff, all of the rising, all of the leavening, that happens behind the scenes. We can't control that. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the only one who can truly change hearts. Amen? You are not going to be able to see the work that He's doing behind the scenes. All you can do, keep working that in. Keep working the Gospel in. And pray, and pray, and pray, and trust, and keep needing, and keep working, and keep proofing, and keep pounding, and keep praying. Keep working the gospel deep into people's lives and the relationships that you continually build with them. Keep trusting the Lord to do the work that only He can do. And He does it quietly and silently. And sometimes over a long period of time, sometimes almost imperceptibly. But He will. He will. He'll do His work exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ever ask or think. Gospel influence happens intentionally. Gospel influence comes from small sources, and gospel influence happens behind the scenes. Finally, gospel influence is passed along. Remember how I said that the mothers would take, uh, take a lump of that starter and they'd pass it on to their daughters at the wedding? One of the reasons I... I one of the reasons I think that we are seeing so little Christian influence in our world today is because our gospel influence is not being passed on from generation to generation. In many churches, my generation and the generations ahead of me have spent more time complaining about kids these days than we have intentionally discipling them. And that's to our shame. The same thing happened to my generation. The same thing happened to the generation before me. We are several generations into this thing where one generation complains about the younger generation instead of investing in the younger generation. You know one of the reasons, you know the main reason 
that we keep the kids in here with us? Now, I've had people ask me, not, I don't, I don't know anybody in here, but I've had people ask me, why don't we have children's church for kids up through middle school or something like that? Because we need the children in here with us. Now, are they going to understand everything? I, the adults don't understand. I don't ever understand everything that I'm saying. <laughs> so we can't expect the kids to understand everything, right? But you know what they can't understand? They can't understand when they're looking around and they see adults around them singing praise and glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, pouring out in worship. They can understand when they see adults with their Bible in their laps doing this and 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 doing that. They can understand that. They can understand on those occasions, on those great, wonderful occasions when we get to baptize somebody and when we have the Lord's Supper, they can understand that. Mama, why don't, why don't I get to take the cup? Because and that gives you an opportunity to share the gospel with your child. Yeah, that's why we have kids in here with us. They're not going to understand everything that's going on, but they know something significant. They know something eternally life-changing is going on, and by God's grace, they will start to emulate it. The way that they learn to worship will be more caught than taught. Amen? You know, there was a time when if a father was a blacksmith, he would apprentice his boy, his son, and he'd bring his son into the blacksmith shop and he would he would get him to help tend the fire and he would get him to do those things and next thing you know, the boy was learning how to be a blacksmith or a carpenter or a farmer or whatever. There was this apprenticeship. There was passing skills and knowledge from father to son to grandson. And we lost something tremendous when we got away from that. But much more than that, we have lost something so much more important by not teaching our sons and daughters how to be gospel influences to our neighbors and the nations. I'm not saying we need to get back to that in the workplace, but we better be getting back to that in God's house. You and I stand in a long line of people who have faithfully passed the gospel from one generation to the next generation. Do not let that line stop with you. Pass it on to your children. Pass it on to your grandchildren. And please, 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 if you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't have kids, my kids are grown and gone, my grandkids live across the country, then invest and pass it on to our kids and grandkids in this family. Amen? That's why I love to see young men hanging out with our older men Guys, I didn't say old. Hanging out with our older men in a Sunday school class. And young men, if you're not in a Sunday school class, get in a Sunday school class. And I love to see our young ladies hanging out with our older ladies 
in the ladies' group. You know, we started a ladies' home group this past, I say we, I, I just watched <laughs> from a distance. But one of the one of the things that I heard from several folks who went to that first meeting this past Monday was what a beautiful thing it was to see ladies of all generations gathered together in Bible study. Listen, we desperately need that. We need young ladies hanging out with older ladies. We need young men hanging out with older men. More mature men in the faith need to mentor and disciple men who are less mature in the faith, including young men, including boys. More mature ladies in the faith need to mentor and disciple less mature ladies in the faith, including young ladies and girls. It's less about age than it is about spiritual maturity. And I don't care who you are, if you're a believer, there is somebody that you are more spiritually mature than. So you can always be bringing somebody along with you. But listen... It's up to the more spiritually mature person to take the initiative. You gotta reach out. I love bread, don't you? I tried that keto thing this year. Man, that tested me and I failed because I love bread, especially when, when we first got married. Uh, we were living overseas, and life was a whole lot less hectic and everything. And there was a lady who passed her starter on to Miranda. And so she got into making this. Now, that starter, it wasn't the dough kind. It was the liquid kind. So it made our refrigerator smell like a brewery. We had to, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, Miranda got into making making this sourdough bread, and it was it was awesome. It was just just phenomenal, the smell of freshly baked bread. And everybody smelled that, right? And you know what the appeal of that is. We love that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that appeal of freshly baked bread. I want you to imagine that when you think about this parable. And as you imagine that and how it makes your mouth water with anticipation of enjoying that fresh, freshly baked bread, I want your heart to pound in anticipation about the influence that you can have, about the influence that our church can have on our neighbors and the nations. But if you're really going to have that, that kind of impact, first you're going to have to do three, three things really quickly. Just give you three quick takeaways on this. First thing you're going to have to do, you're going to have to find a lot of flour. And in our area, that's not that hard. Depending on the statistics that you read, anywhere from 60 to 80 percent of our closest neighbors are unchurched. Now that, now you add on to that percentage the number of lost people. There's plenty of flour. There's a whole world of flour out there. All you have to do is just be willing to gather it. 
Start building relationships with people who desperately need gospel influence. Then after you've gathered the flower, start working in some gospel leaven. That's the second thing you need to do is start working in that gospel leaven. In your ongoing relationships with people, model what it means to be a believer. Be real. Be transparent. Be open. Don't be fake and standoffish. Be real with people. Show them what it means to be forgiven. When you mess up in front of somebody, show them what it means to be forgiven. Show them what it means to be free from the bondage of sin. Show show them what it means to be content in Christ. That means you can't go around whining and complaining to people all the time. When you have something that's wrong, be real and be transparent with them, but show them how that you're covered by the amazing grace of Christ and how you're content in Him. That contentment is more appealing to people than anything because we live in a world of discontent. Show them what it means to be content in Christ. Show them what it means to live in the hope of the resurrection. When they see the hope that's in you, be prepared to give a defense. So find the flower, work in the gospel leaven, and trust God with the results. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 11, God says this. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Listen, you can have more influence on your friends, on your family, on your relatives, on your co-workers, on your neighborhood. You can have more influence on them than you could ever possibly imagine. Our church can have more influence on our neighbors and the nations than you can ever imagine. All you have to do is find some flour. There's lots of it around us. Work in that gospel leaven. And trust God. God. 